What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. This was it. This was the moment he was going to leave his disciples. They had been through a lot together in the school of Christ, but today was graduation day, and so he smiled. And then he said it, I am leaving, but you know what? You guys are ready to do great things. Graduation day. It's one of the only rites of passage that we still have in America. A sign that a person is moving from teenager to adulthood, from adolescence to being a member of society. And and on graduation day, you generally have people win their awards in front of people. Some magna cum laude, some summa cum laude, some just straight old cum laude. And then the rest of us that are just glad to be there because you are now all graduating, right? You don't get jealous of the people with summa cum laude. You think maybe if I'd studied harder, maybe I could have been there, but you're just glad you made it like everybody else there. But the other thing about graduation is you always have a speaker. Now, the speaker is someone no one remembers. You never remember what your speaker said on your graduation day. And and many times you don't even remember who the speaker was. They're just there like the adults in the Charlie Brown cartoon. You don't actually remember what your graduation speaker said, right? But this graduation speaker was different. Everyone would remember what he was about to say. I sense that here with Jesus. He's so happy for his kids to be moving on and to finally bring his ministry to fruition. But he knows what he's about to say will cause his disciples great trepidation, great fear. And he also knows that the cross that he has to bear to die upon, the cross to come, is going to cause him so much pain. The cost he would bear was great. But for now, he had to celebrate graduation. See, 
We're going to go to John chapter 13, and that's the story we're dealing with today, in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, he's in the upper room celebrating Passover with his best friends. You know, if Jesus had Facebook, all of these guys would be friends on there. They'd be at the top. They'd be posting to each other, and they'd be chatting back and forth, except Judas. You know, that guy that you wish was not there. The one person that if he would just leave the room, this would be a great party. Well, that was Judas. Graduation could not start until Judas left. And it troubled Jesus. It says he was troubled in spirit. Probably because of the pain he knew he was about to face, but possibly because he knew this band of brothers was about to break up. Either way, to kick off the chain of events that would lead to his death on the cross. And that's something you've got to remember. As his crucifixion drew near, the months leading up to it, Jesus is sovereign over it all. He knew he was in complete control. He knew when he wanted to be revealed. He knew when he had to die. And so he worked out every single facet. He was sovereign over it all. And he knew to kick off the chain of events that would lead to his death on the cross, he had to get Judas to do what Judas, deep down in his heart, was intending to do all along. And so Jesus handed Judas a morsel of bread from the supper that they were eating together. He handed him a morsel of bread, one last act of kindness. And I think in many ways, one last chance for Judas to choose something else, to choose to be truly a follower of Jesus, to choose to to say, I'm going to be loyal to you and, and to leave this terrible plan that he has behind. One last chance, Judas. And he handed him this morsel of bread. Then he told Judas to go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. And so Judas left. When he left, I think there might have been a pause in the universe at that point. A gasp, a sigh, a sense of the impending horror to befall the almighty Son of God. But then, as soon as Judas left, I can see Jesus smiling as he realized the plan was now complete. And the ultimate goal was to bring his father glory. And that was about to happen in the next 24 hours. And so with great joy in his heart, he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. See, Jesus lived for the glory of God, and he lived for that alone. And and sometimes I think we lose that in the hustle and bustle of life. Do we live for the glory of God and that's it? Because that's all we're supposed to live for, is to live for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 In whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 
Do it all to the glory of God. Live it all to the glory of God. Jesus says in John 17 of his work down here on earth, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, remember what he said. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. That's the whole reason Jesus did his ministry was to give God the glory. And to give God the glory means to reveal his attributes, to believe in his attributes, to praise his attributes. His glory is the composite of all that he, God, is. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus' ministry was full of glory, and it was full of glory so that he could glorify the Father. And I just want to encourage you guys. Do you live for that? Do you live out 1 Corinthians 10, 31? And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or sleep, whether you go to school, whether you're a major business player, whether you're a father, whether you're a mother, a son, a daughter, whether you're playing Nintendo, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what Jesus did on this earth. And if that's what drives him, man, that should drive us, right? Do you make that your first goal every day to give God the glory, to glorify him in all you do? And he begins his graduation speech by asking his followers to love the Father, to glorify him. And then he says it. He lets the cat out of the bag that this is his disciples' graduation day. He lets him know, hey, you are about to graduate. He says, little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, the thing is, this shouldn't have been news to them because he had said it earlier in John chapter 7, verse 34. He said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. He had told the disciples, I'm going to a place you cannot come, right? Jesus is going to go back to be with his father, to be in his glory and his presence forevermore. He's going to be back in the presence of God in heaven. And guess what, disciples? You can't come with me there. And he told the disciples he was going to do this. Well, they must have forgot. You know, maybe the disciples thought, oh, he's saying it to unbelieving Jews. And yeah, they can't come because you got to be a believer. and You got to believe he's the Messiah. And we, we do, so we can go with them. What he said is you can't come. It was meant for them, but not us because we can be with him. Or maybe the disciples were just not that bright. I don't know, but Jesus clearly stated it. 
And here in the upper room, he makes it so clear they cannot miss it. Where I am going, you cannot come. And I think when he said that, the disciples looked around at each other. And I can imagine the distress these disciples must have felt. You see it in their responses later on in this passage. But Jesus, he tries to calm them down. They're stressed out. We can't come. We want to follow you. What are you saying we can't come where you're at? What, what, what? And all the discussion and all the murmuring. And Jesus calms them down by the next part of his speech. He says, I'm going to calm you guys down by telling you the one mark. The one mark they all had to have in order to be his disciple. He was going to leave them, but they needed to keep this mark, this sign that they were Jesus' disciples. You know, if it were me, I would have left a lightning scar on their forehead. Or Wait, that's Harry Potter. No, no, I couldn't do that. Or, or, or maybe I'd give them all a superpower. Maybe all the same superpower. So everyone knew if you could make um, lightning come out of your fingertips, you were one of Jesus' disciples. Or maybe if you could fly, you were one of Jesus' disciples. No. Instead, Jesus left them with one simple yet profound mark. And if truly lived out, it is a superpower. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Those of you who call Jesus your Savior, do you love those other kids you go to youth group with or Do you love those other kids that you go to Sunday school with? If you're adults, do you love the other people sitting across the pew from you in your small group Bible study? Do you love that person who's so annoying? They're always right. They always think they're right. You just find them annoying. But instead, Jesus says, if you're one of my disciples, you're going to love each other. You know, John wrote the book of John, which we're pulling the story from, and he's known as the disciple of love because he always talks about love. And in 1 John, another book he wrote, 1 John 3, verse 11, he says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You should love one another. You know, why love? Why did Jesus pick that? is the mark. And how do we love each other? Love can be a feeling, but love is best expressed in action. And that's how the Bible likes to define love as something you do. I think God chose love because that's the very essence of the Father. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God because, guess what? God is love. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 16, it says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. God is love. I think God chose this as the mark because God is love. 
think he also chose this mark because Christians need to love and support one another to survive in this hostile world. And he knew, Jesus, that his graduates, the disciples, what they were going to face, the trials they were going to go through, they needed each other. And they needed to know that John loved Peter and that Peter loved Mark and that Mark loved Matthew and that Bartimaeus loved Nathaniel and Philip, that they loved each other and they could take care of each other and they could support each other. And like I said, it's important to remember finally that love is an action. You know, I'm not too good at feeling stuff sometimes. You know, I, I need to be more romantic, I think. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't always talk about love as a feeling many times. And in many ways, it talks about love as primarily an action. And I read one commentary. It says that love is primarily an action word in the Bible. And it's not an emotion. So in other words, in the Bible, when it talks about love, it talks about love in terms of displaying it, doing something to show your inner feeling of love. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Those are all doing things, right? That, that's all action. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, our faith shows itself in the things we say and do and, and in the way we treat other people. Jesus once said, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's found in John 15, verse 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Now, what's that fruit? Well, we're told in Galatians 5, that the fruit that you should bear, the fruits of the Spirit are love. That's one of the fruits. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things we should bear. And when we see these fruits of the Spirit in our lives, then we can see love in action. And it gives us confidence that our faith is genuine and that the love of Jesus is really dwelling in our hearts and beginning to influence the way we live. That's why God says, I want the mark of my disciples to be love. And this love would make Jesus complete his mission. He would send his disciples, many of them, to die a martyr's death because they had a love for Jesus. And this love for Jesus was the motivation for many of men and women today who still give up their lives for Christ. They'd rather die than not talk about Jesus. They'd rather be imprisoned than not talk about Jesus. And what makes them want to do that? A love for him. It all comes from that mark, right? You'll know if you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, the disciples are so sad and they're agitated. This is news to many of them, even though Jesus tried to tell them earlier. And, and all this stuff about Jesus leaving is frightening. So Peter, their leader, bold Peter, he speaks up first. He says, where, where are you going, Jesus? 
Jesus tells him that where he's going, Peter can't come for now. But Peter can come later, just not now. And Peter says, hey, I'd lay down my life for you. And so with a motivation like that, Jesus, why can't I follow you? I'm willing to die for you. Look at my service for you, Jesus. Look at my faith. I want to follow you now. Then Jesus responds by essentially telling Peter that Peter is about to fail him, Jesus. And he goes on to say that Peter will deny Jesus three times before the night is out. You know, I think sometimes we as Christians, we know we we try to be the master. We try to tell God what to do. In many ways, that's what Peter was trying to do here. He says, I want to follow you. I want to go where you're going. I want to follow you. I deserve that. And God says, you've got to trust me, Peter. Now think about it. Jesus just told all the disciples that their leader, Peter, was going to deny their master, Jesus. What a thing to hear. They're probably thinking, what? Our go-to guy is going to let the team down? And I can imagine the accusations that maybe started to fly around, the feelings of loss and astonishment. Well, I should have been the leader. I knew I knew Peter was going to let us down. No, he's not going to let us down. What are you saying? And they're all starting to get angry at each other. And, you know, our leader and, and, and Jesus, he's leaving. And our second command is going to let us down and betray him. I don't get it. And they're all talking. The leader's leaving. Jesus is leaving. And Peter's going to let us down. He just said that. Then Jesus responds. He calms everybody down again, and he responds with a truth so profound that it should ring down the halls of history to us today. If you are a believer, trusting in your own ability to follow God, which is sort of what Peter's doing here, Jesus rebukes that. And he rebukes you. And instead, he says, trust me. If you're going to be a disciple, you must, first of all, love the other disciples. And then secondly, you must trust that Jesus is going to take care of you. He says there in John 14, verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? No, and and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So on hearing this, that this is graduation day. One response is to say, I've been trained well enough. I want to rely on my abilities. I want to rely on my own abilities. And I'm good. In fact, I'm in some ways I might be better than the master. I can be good and I've been trained well and I'm going to move forward. Yes, this is graduation day. I've been trained. I've been prepared. I am good. And God says, don't rely on your own abilities. Instead, he says, trust me. Trust me, not yourself. So, 
There are those disciples who after hearing this speech, they're still looking for a sign or or something else apart from Jesus. Jesus ultimately isn't good enough. Thomas asks later on in John 14 there, right, for Jesus to show him the way. And Jesus replies to him that the way to the Father is found in him, Jesus. He says that famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, You must love the other disciples, trust in Jesus' promises. And finally, he says, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to obey. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You're going to obey. So that's the end of the graduation speech. Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to be a disciple of me, this is my graduation speech to you. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And just so you know, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to leave you with a mark. And that's love. You've got to love each other and take care of each other. I'm going to ask you, secondly, to trust me that I'm going to build for you a wonderful home and I'm building for you a wonderful place and someday I'm going to come back for you. Do you believe that? That I'm going to come back for you? Trust me. Don't trust in your own abilities. Don't trust in your own strength like Peter. No, trust me instead. I'm building a beautiful home and we're going to have pleasures and joy in glorifying God forevermore. So love one another, trust me. And then finally, he says, if you're going to make it, you've got to obey me. Keep my commands. That's how you make it as a disciple. That's how you're going to make it the day after graduation. By love, trust, and obey. There's an old hymn, right, that says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I would agree, but I would like to add this. Love, trust, and obey. Love, trust, and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to love, trust, and obey. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.